0: World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer, the show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling, from one man who lives it, and another man who loves it.
1: Right, here we are, the inaugural episode of Territory Marks. Very excited to go down memory lane where my co host and I talk about our favorite memories and matches from the 80s, sometimes 90s, maybe sometime the late 70s. Uh, but that pretty much taps out at 90, I'd say 92. Uh, it's me, Zach Schaefer. I'm one half of the team. Dustin's not here. This is a $2 late fee show, but Dustin knows zero about wrestling. So perhaps he'll come on on a later episode and we can talk about it. And not zero. He said he knows from his action figure LJN days. He remembers some of the figures that he had and he can maybe go there. But um, now joining me is, well, a, a man that I have the utmost respect for, a huge fan of his career and what he's done. Inside the ring on the screen as an actor and a professional wrestler. Paul London, Paul, what's going on?
2: Zach, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Uh, you know, even though, like you said, short lived knowing each other, I can already tell you're my favorite tag team partner. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It's, it's just the chemistry, the things we have in common, the, you know, you even just mentioning about being a fan of early 80s and uh, 80s. Uh, a bit exploitative horror films but just the underground stuff and that's right up my alley so love that and uh so when you presented this idea about doing territory marks i started to salivate because i'm not a fan of current day wrestling so <laughs> no better thing to do than go down memory lane
1: thank god for youtube yeah and thank god for certain things that the wwe hasn't locked down yet so um fortunately yeah i i really quickly uh my backstory is i grew up watching wrestling started out in the mid 80s actually early 80s Uh, i think my introduction was watching big time wrestling in uh detroit my mom's p.e teacher was george the animal steel no and, way. Yeah. No joke. Wow. Uh, listening to, uh, Dick, the bruiser on the local radio rock rock station, the riff, uh, talking about his days in wrestling way back when that's kind of how I got hooked into it. And the rest is history. You know, I, I, I love, uh, and the onset of this, we talked about in the intro, uh, we mentioned territories and, and the territories in the eighties were a lot of different places all over the country before, WWE basically became the Amazon or the Walmart of the business and uh, owning everything. And there were all these little smaller territories like world-class championship wrestling and the CWA and the AWA and the NWA and Florida championship. And uh, I thought, you know what, well, to be a mark, and if you don't know what that is, it's what, what well, Paul, what is
2: a mark? A mark, you know, it's funny, that term originates from the carnival days, from what I've gathered. And basically, the carnival barker, as he would allow patrons to come through and get their ticket to go into the carnival, would keep some chalk or baby powder in his pocket. So he would put his hand in there and kind of get some powder on his hand. He'd be like, oh, right this way, sir, right this way. And you pat them on the back and it would mark them. Okay. So that's how the rest of the people in the carnival knew, oh, there's a mark, right? He wouldn't do that to everybody, but like the people that were like very excited, just very, you know, ready to just willing to believe everything and just overexcited, right? So yeah. it's since kind of changed uh, over the years. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's kind of like the ultimate fan, you know, the fan that'll be there through through good times bad times good matches terrible matches you're a fan you know and we're all marks um for one thing or another some people unfortunately are marks for themselves uh but we don't have those people here they're out of here we moved them out of the territory (laughs) they went onward we moved them out they went on to the carolinas (laughs) (laughs) so
1: we sandpapered yeah. their foreheads in the back and uh, sent them running. So
2: yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we put uh, Crisco corn oil in their wind straw. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the you know, I am admittedly a mark because I love professional wrestling. Um, I really kind of fell in love with it. Funny enough, through the magazines. Hmm, before i started seeing it on tv so my young 11 year old brain started to try and put things together and make sense of still images and it wasn't until i started really watching it of course my first real exposure was wwf and uh, nwa wcw Mm -hmm. but growing up in texas we had some of the best territories you know we had southwest championship wrestling we had obviously world-class championship wrestling um, so in, in my father, he went to school at what I believe is now West Texas AM something, but he's okay. some of his classmates were, uh, like, um, the DiBiase's, uh, cause like it was Ted DiBiase, Iron Mike DiBiase, his father. Uh, I believe Tito Santana went to this college. There were a lot of wrestlers that went through this college. Um, but it wasn't something that my father and I sat down to watch wrestling with. If anything, mm-hmm. they were more so worried that I would you know, get the bug. But fast forward, my first real trainer uh, was the Polish power, Ivan Putzky. Wow. He really broke me into the wrestling business. Um, yeah. At first, I tried to get training from Exotic Adrian Street, but he just ripped me off. Man, that would have been wild. Total carny move, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then I was fortunate enough to get trained by Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. Wow. I take a lot of pride in feeling as though I'm a bit of a crossover from territory-type training, you know, that style of really weeding guys out and seeing if they're worthy of being in the ring. Um, Because back then, you know, it, it was very cliquish, very closed doors, and kayfabe was alive and well. And for a lot of people who don't know what kayfabe is, kayfabe is another kind of carnival term, but it's basically what you'll say out into the locker room whenever there are marks present, meaning fans, people who aren't part of the show. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a bit of a um, keyword to protect the business. Yeah. You know, so if uh, a heel and a face are talking about last night's shenanigans. And, uh, you know, you say, Fabe, you know, they'll separate immediately and whatever, just to try and protect the business. Wow. Yeah, it's something that I, I'm i still a proponent of. I believe in k Fabe and it, it takes a real commitment. But sadly, it's something that a lot of people uh, feel is dead. I feel it's up to the performer. But if the people bought tickets, then they're there to believe something. And it's, you know, your job to make them believe. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, $2 Late Fee celebrates nostalgia from the 80s. And this is Territory Marks is a continuation of celebrating nostalgia from the 80s in the squared circle. You know, Absolutely. and we we are we are going to talk about each episode. We're going to talk about one match each. We each bring a match to the episode to talk about uh, sprinkling in some pop culture moments at the end from that time just like we do on $2 late fee. So there's a little bit of a continuation there. Um, and Paul and I are, we, we ahead of time, we have to watch the matches, obviously. So we know what we're talking about, but getting to the first episode and figuring out which matches to kind of start with was a big deal. Because if you want, if you go into the first match with something that's going to just flame out in 30 seconds, you know, what the hell are you listening to this podcast for? You want something to it's gonna bring fire, right? Yeah. So uh, it was a tough decision for both of us. In fact, after I chose my first match, I went back and forth. I'm like, should I have picked a different match? I don't know. <laughs> because obviously uh, mine was really quick. And and I, I, I've i said this before on, on $2 late fee. Um, to this day, I go to bed sleeping thinking about wrestling. When I was a kid, I was playing with my action figures, and I didn't like the old school LJN Galoob figures uh, because they couldn't move them, right? The big
2: kind of rubber, uh, you know, I think they were probably this, they they had some good size, but yeah, no mobility. They were like 10 or 11 inches tall, right? They were huge, right?
1: Yeah, And, and then the Galoob ones that came out later on from WCW were a smaller version of that, but still didn't move. (laughs) Anyways, I had, and I think your brother, and you'll appreciate this, your brother Jonathan from Geekscape, um, I had the Superpower DC figures, and I had the Marvel uh, Secret War figures, and those had some pretty decent articulation for back in the day, and I had a wrestling ring that was about the size, it was like my AWA Remco ring. Uh, wow. made out of cardboard, which I still own, by the way.
2: No way.
1: With all the figures, too, most oh, of them. Oh, wow. I'll have to bust that out sometime when we get to it. Well, I actually should have. I don't have any. Well, I don't want to spoil that. Anyways, <laughs> um, I use those wrestlers for my, I use those toys for my wrestlers. And as I got older and stopped playing with toys, it went all into the memory bank, all into the box. And I renamed a lot of these characters to my own, like, wrestling character names, right? And to this day, I have storylines that date all the way back to the '80s, just continuation. And it's a variation on some of the matches that I'll talk about in this series that uh, that I loved. You know, people swerving other people, sure. You know, stuff like that. So I go. My meditation to go to bed at night is thinking about wrestling, and so I kind of eat, sleep, and drink it. And um, it's you know, it's been always a big deal to me to want to bring it to two dollar late fee, and here we are. And it's an honor to have you uh, tag-teaming with me. And so I was like, Paul, it's got to be me and Paul. The, the, <laughs> the worlds are aligning right now. I can feel it, brother. You so, can use my boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, mine, by the way, are cowboy wrestling boots. And I should have worn those in the, for the occasion. Maybe I am. This is for the everyone listening. Maybe we're wearing those wrestling boots with the cowboy <laughs>
2: have our bleach jeans tucked into the cowboy boots with no belt
1: right. fanny packs
2: with um, those
1: fanny packs oh my god
2: so we keep our gimmicks
1: yes exactly <laughs> so are you ready to get into
2: this are you ready to talk about these matches and and real quick i think what else is so wonderful about what you presented here with territory marks is that you know, some of these matches might be familiar to the to the viewer and the listener. But fortunately, we'll find some matches ho- in hopes that you can then look up yourself and really start opening up uh, that own kind of... It is Pandora's box because you will become re-addicted to genuine, real professional wrestling. And uh, yep. I guess there is a warning here that if you're watching current wrestling on television... You might not be as excited about that stuff after watching some of these matches. So,
1: yeah, I totally agree. And I think uh, for for those that are listening that are not wrestling fans but love the show, anyways, we might make you we might make you a fan. You might be a mark by the by the time uh, this episode ends, or the the future ones do.
2: If you're watching this, you already are. A mark. Yeah, that's right, brother.
1: <laughs> 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 All right, so. Uh, we're going in chronological order. We're talking about two matches tonight, both from the 80s. And uh Paul's going to start us off with his match. Paul, what is the match that you brought to tonight's episode?
2: Well, similar to you, I was going back and forth over countless matches. It was kind of, you know, the mindset of, it has to be something so epic and, you know, and there's so many to choose from because, you know, this was life. this was life. These were wrestlers, true wrestlers. these were people that you didn't want to meet outside in a dark alley. These were people that you believed. these were people that looked the part. they lived the part, they were the part. They dragged their families, uh, you know their wives, their children's, their mistresses, they dragged them across the country depending on what territory was having them come in to, to yep. start a program. You know, maybe there was a need for a baby face in San Francisco, or they needed a hot heel down in San Antonio. And you could pretty much just pick up and, and take off on a note's notice. Um, there's a story going back to when Tully Blanchard used to work for his father, Joe Blanchard, I believe in San Antonio, and Tully got into a bar fight and kind of got whooped. And his father was so embarrassed. He shipped him right out of the territory. He's like, what can I do with you now? Like, so you're out of here. You're going to the Carolinas. You leave like tomorrow. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause he pretty much jobbed out at the bar. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, word was going to travel. So it was Mm -hmm. like, that's how serious. Kayfabe is. So, uh, I thought a lot about this and it literally a good friend of mine as well, uh, kind of just helped calm me down he's one of my wrestling encyclopedias but he said you know what just just go with what you dig and what i dig is tag team wrestling i made a lot of my living in the ring was a tag team specialist and when i think of the career that i had in tag team wrestling a tag team that was very influential to myself uh and my a few of my partners uh were the rockers Mm. but before they were the rockers in the wwf They were the Midnight Rockers in the AWA. And one of their biggest feuds was with the Playboy, Buddy Rose, and the Pretty Boy, Doug Summers.
0: The Challengers!
2: These teams had a, a series of matches and Doug Summers and Buddy Rose, uh, they had just won the tag team championships from Scott Hall, who would later on be known as Razor Ramon and Kurt Hennig, who would later go on to be Mr. Perfect. And this was before Vince McMahon kind of poached the different territories of who he wanted. And that's kind of what led to the end of the territories. Yeah. Sadly, it was Vince uh, McMahon doing just that. He poached the territories, all their greatest talents, and put them on TV repackaged as something that he thought was marketable. And a lot of those went on to great success, and some of them didn't. So this this feud between Doug Summers, Playboy Buddy Rose, and the Midnight Rockers, who were a very young Shawn Michaels and Marty Gennetti, uh, I feel that this is really what helped elevate Sean and Marty to put them in the kind of in the scope where they were noticed by WWF. Apparently it was Pat Patterson that took note of them. and was like, we really need to sign these guys. Okay. But had they not gone through this feud with Doug Summers and buddy Rose, I don't know that that would have happened because this truly elevated them to, to real players, real players in the business, especially for being in their early twenties. So the match that I selected was one that it actually occurred on August 30th, 1986, but it aired on September 2nd. So just a few days later, and this okay. is back on ESPN when ESPN had professional wrestling. Wow. And now they have bowling and darts. <laughs> Bring back the real pro wrestling. <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah. And this was from the Showboat Casino in Las Vegas, um, which As far as I could tell from what I noticed, uh, that was kind of closed in January of 2004, sadly. But it Mm. was a match for some of the biggest matches around. AWA, I believe, had a contract with it, and they had some of their big, big shows at the Showboat Casino. And it just creates a great atmosphere. So as I was thinking about it and thinking of a match to select, it seemed like the perfect choice. This is a tag team match that, is brilliant like in so many ways you have yeah. the pompous cocky heels who are veterans just wily veterans like i said they had just won the tag belts uh, i believe back in may of 86 okay from extremely accomplished scott hall and kurt hennig um two so they beefy were guys th- by the way two beefy guys right yeah big beefy guys and, you know, AWA was mainly running a lot of like the Minnesota area, but they were running, you know, Midwest. Uh, so for them to come and do these shows in Vegas, it was it was kind of like a pretty big deal. You know, it was like where they would have a blow off um, who they would have at ringside as their lovely and dastardly valet was Sherry Martel. Um, and what's funny to note about a lot of this is that you know, some six, seven, eight years later, Shawn Michaels would adopt Sherry Martell as his valet when he went heel as the sexy boy Shawn Michaels and turned on Marty Jannetty much later in Better the So it's kind of neat to see where a lot of these seeds were were kind of put out there, you know, early on, and to think that you know this uh, this established a lot of things that later would grow on to something else you know and yeah. 10 years after this match Shawn Michaels would be WWF champion so um, if you're a fan of Shawn Michaels if you're a fan of Marty Jannetty if you're a fan of real tag team wrestling and you're if you're a fan of just gritty just down and dirty heels who aren't concerned with being cool or doing the cool moves um this is the match for you. I mean, this match, as I mentioned, it's it's perfect psychology of your heels and your faces. Literally five minutes into this match, Shawn Michaels gets dumped to the apron, and as Buddy Rose draws the referee's attention, Doug Summers uh, goes and grabs Shawn and drags him across the apron and rams his head into the turnbuckle uh, bindings, which is like a metal... That's how they used to turn uh, tighten the ropes back then. Yeah, it's like a, like a turnbuckle. Yeah. I know because I've busted my own head up on these before. Oh. But it turns into a bloodbath. You know, this match is an absolute bloodbath. So five minutes into what was about an 18-minute match, uh, I believe three of these guys all get busted open throughout the course of this match. Both right. Sean, Marty, and Doug Summers are uh, showing some real color here. Real color. And traditionally, the baby face would draw color to really garner more sympathy. So the thing that I truly love about this match so much is the selling. The selling here, because that's ultimately what's going to make these people believe. And the, the, the house is so raucous. like They're just so into everything, everything, every movement, every um, raising the fist to show that there's still fight, every wild swing. I mean, just everything, even just the kickouts to show that they're still alive. There was very much just tons and tons of heat on Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Big time. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a work of art. It's a work of art. Um, and funny enough, the match ends in a DQ, you know, um, so it's not like there was a, a definitive kind of, uh, oh, we're going to see the big title switch. Um but it was just so much of just the fight of the baby faces. And there's a double heat here, which for those who don't know, heat is when the heel is really taking a beating and putting a beating on the baby face. He's done something dastardly behind the ref's back. Uh, ideally cheating. You never really kind of wanted the, the heel to outsmart the baby face because then in the baby face would kind of look like a doofus. <laughs> um, so genuinely, you know, the baby face would, come out firing, come out firing full of house, you know, just full of fire and it would get the, the heel on it, you know, on his heels, so to speak. Yeah. So having tag team wrestling really afforded so many other avenues for there to be stuff done behind the referees back. And so, like I mentioned, you know, five minutes into the match, uh, Sean gets busted open. uh, And it's a beautiful color job. You don't see the blade. You don't see any of that. Um, but yeah. he's just he's just a crimson mask. Yeah. A crimson mask. And he's just showing that fight. He is showing that fight. Actually, early on, right before he gets busted open, you see the the very early shades of the super kick. They they would call it a crescent kick or a martial arts kick, because they didn't, you know, the super kick hadn't been invented. Yeah. Um but you couldn't ask for better foils than Buddy Rose and Doug Summers mm-hmm. because they sold their asses off too, and they knew when to put the right amount of heat on there, when to change gears, when to ramp it up, uh, when to throw them to the outside and draw the the referee so that Sherry or the other partner could could do stuff uh, behind the refs back and throw them back in and do the like I didn't touch them, you know, right. like so. Uh, and then you know, Sean eventually makes the tag to Marty, who's just gangbusters. He's just going wild, full of fire. And he's just unloading and then he's unloading and he's taking them both out. But then eventually he even gets busted open and now he's a crimson mask. And now they're putting the heat on Marty and it's like, oh my God, they're never going to make it. There's no way. There's no way. Um, You know, so it's funny because Buddy Rose was the only one who didn't uh, color in this match. He didn't get busted open, but it, it's just beautiful. I love this match so much. And it's just it's a real work of art and it's like tag team wrestling in the most, uh, I mean, they're, these guys are all maestros of what they're doing. And to think of Sean and Marty in their early twenties, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. You know? And these aren't bodybuilders, you know, like no. Doug, Summers, they called him the, uh, well, he was the, the pretty boy, but you look at buddy Rose and they would call him the dough boy. Yeah. You know? Um, but just just great, great heels. And, you know, it takes great faces to make great heels and takes great heels to make great faces. Totally. I feel that this is the match that truly elevated the Midnight Rockers to just another level. Um, and it's funny because later on, once, you know, it breaks down and it's DQ'd, there's a moment where, I want to say it's at the 20-minute mark, after the uh, the locker room's emptied and the baby, some different baby faces have run out Greg there great ganya try. yeah oh yeah you know i had to get this boy the, the camera absolutely but if you look at the 20 minute mark there's blood drops on the camera oh so there's a bit of blood whoa. on the camera lens yeah it's pretty neat it's pretty neat and uh i didn't notice that wow yeah it's there's a big glob of blood right on the camera lens at whoa at the, Mark. <laughs> so. That's
1: wild. Well, I, I will say too. Okay. So, I mean, I have a lot, I'm like chomping at the bit here because, uh, I, I never seen this match before. I remember the, the, uh, the rivalry these two teams had back in the day, I believe on the Sean Michaels, um, story, the WWE disc that they put out years ago. They, they touched on this a little bit like the birth of the midnight rockers, who, by the way, came out to the theme of, uh, living after midnight, by Judas Priest and we will talk about the music later but um which great theme and in Buddy and Summers you know that was a different era right where the dudes like looked like nothing but they could beat the holy hell out of you yeah. and it reminded me a little bit like you know Wildfire Tommy Rich that guy shouldn't by today's standards should never been an NWA champion but he was at one point, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Um, these guys, there's no way in hell these guys nowadays would have been world tag team champions, you know, by today's standards. Oh, Probably yeah. not. But my God, they sold it left and right. They were such great heels. The Midnight Rockers, I mean, I'm, I'm a, unabashedly a huge Genetti fan. And Same here. I mean, he and, and honestly, I think he could he was a better talker before Sean, but that's a whole other story. And <laughs> and those two like Sean is in the ring. It's a, it's like you said, it's an 18 minute match. But Sean's in the ring for 12 minutes. The first 12 minutes of the match. I tracked it. I'm like, when's he going to make a tag? Because this is insane. He hadn't been in the ring yet. <laughs> no. And then At when all? he gets in, it's like two minutes in and he's bloody, you know, and, yeah. um, and it's what a story. And, and like you said, to see Sherry pop up out of nowhere, like I forgot that she managed those guys yeah. and she was around this business so, for such a long time. And what a iconic female presence in the ring and Absolutely. outside the ring uh, and a talker to everything. But this moment, this capsule. Reminded me of of the AWA had such a unique look, right? Yeah. The, even the the positioning of the camera, the hard cam. Typically, one guy is on like the left side, and one guy's on the right. Well, these are like facing the one guy's facing the camera, the other guy, the other teammate is his back is to the camera. Right. It's just an interesting perspective, and I kind of liked it to be honest with you. I was like, this is cool to see the action from a different point of view.
2: Definitely lends itself to it appearing as a legitimate sport. You know, which is probably why yeah. ESPN aired it and had it, you know, as one of their regular programs. Um, but also the commentating, I think, just oh, really lends yeah. itself to it being legitimate in a sport. You know, and 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 it was just—it's such a wonderful thing to to witness, um, and you really see the fire. Uh, behind the baby faces, not giving up and digging deep, and they're throwing wild punches because they're both just bleeding. And you know, even when Doug Summers gets busted open in the in the turnbuckle as well, he gets uh, thrown into that turnbuckle twice. Oh, it's dramatic! Park, yep. and he falls back, and his blade job maybe wasn't as uh, secretive as Sean's. No, <laughs> uh, but Sean had the 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 luxury of kind of putting his head under the ring skirt outside. Yep. Yeah. Um nowadays you'll just see the guys you know what I mean and it's it's embarrassing Um yeah. because you know you would think you getting your head busted on a piece of metal it's gonna gash you open
1: yeah because it's exposed like that that turnbuckle is padded but right behind it like you were describing that kind of metal bracket that binds the right. the ropes together that's totally Unexposed, And so the fact that Sean gets his head cracked hard on that thing. So yeah. legit, I believed it, you know, uh, hook, line and sinker. And he's out of the ring uh, long enough for him to do what he needs to do out there. So by the time he gets back in, it, it just it feels so authentic and, and dramatic. And he sells like nobody, you know,
2: as such a yeah. young kid. Absolutely. And I love that Marty jumps down and runs around to check on him. Even yeah. though he's in bad guy territory, you know, it's like right at the heels corner, but he's kind of just like, God, you know what I mean? Like I need to check on him. Like, is, you know, and and that just, you really just shows that unification of, of, of a real tag team.
1: And also too, you know, I showed this match to my son and my son is eight and he watches oh, wow. a lot of wrestling. He, I was watching wrestling with him when he was, when, uh, when he was a little baby, we were watching a war games match and I'm like, you're not going to remember this, but
2: He's such a great dad.
1: his first, uh, his first Halloween costume was, that he chose was sting, uh, surfer sting. Yeah. So anyways, oh, I love it. yeah, it's so great. It's so great. But, um, I watched this match with him and, and again, there's, there's, you're not seeing the move set that you see nowadays, but he was like, Oh, Oh, like reacting to every punch, every kick um and and he's like wow this is intense i go yeah this this feels like a real fight like these guys i said bud it's kayfabe they don't they probably do get along but these guys hate each other in the ring like they're right. just tearing it up and right. yeah marty what a like the midnight rockers were such a unique team i mean we had other teams that rock and roll express for example that uh another team i love but these guys were young, like the Rock and Roll Express looked like they were in their 30s because they were in their 30s. These guys looked like they were in their 20s and they looked like little kids and so much more relatable. Uh, you look in that audience and you talked about the audience was on fire. That's a make or break situation, too. Like if the audience is dead, it takes right. the energy out of the match. And they were so into it and were right Absolutely. next to it, too.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're going crazy, crazy. And there's a lot of young and a lot of old in that crowd. And I don't think Doug Summers and Buddy Rose had too many fans. And that's how they would want it. You know what I mean? Those were heels that loved and relished being hated because that's what drew money. Because when it came time for you to get your ass whipped, like that was going to draw money. And that's what they were paying tickets to see, to see you eventually get your comeuppance. So in a match like this where, sure, ideally you would think, oh, my God, like they fought through just blood and agony and pain and everything, and they finally won the tag belt. It's like, nope, they're going to have to wait. Yep. Like we're going to draw that out. Uh, you know, so the booking's brilliant, you know, in my opinion, because you're giving the the fans – Right on the edge of, oh, are they going to win? Are they going to win? They haven't given up. They haven't given up. And then it's like, oh, DQ. Like, oh no, God. You know, and always have the fans uh, go home craving more. How are they going to beat these guys?
1: Like, and, how are they going to do this? And they, nothing, you know, it, it it makes you want to buy the ticket
2: for the next show. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's funny thinking about that turnbuckle uh, being exposed. I remember one of my first cruiserweight title defenses took place in San Diego at the uh, San Diego Sports Arena, I believe. Um, And I had gotten pulled into the turnbuckle by my trunks as I was starting to fight back. This was against an ex-partner, Billy Kidman. And there was a bolt exposed behind the turnbuckle padding. And my head went right into it. And and it just started gushing bad. And I ended up getting 22 staples in my head. Wow! Right, you could sense the the atmosphere of the match. You could sense the the intensity elevate because I was covered in blood, and they kept asking me if I wanted to stop. But I there was no way I was going to stop. You know what I mean? Right. Fighting, and we ended up getting uh, getting through it, and I ended up rolling them up for the pin. And it just it's one of the better moments I've had in my career where I felt that you know, and this was all by accident, getting busted open. Yeah. It's called- hard way as we say when you get busted open legit um and it really the audience responded in a way that i hadn't had before and and then i ended up getting jumped afterwards uh by two heels and it was just there was a ton of heat it was one of my favorite memories so when i think of watching this match in particular and just seeing that bite, i mean that's i was just breathing that and and it wasn't yeah. anything to the level of what these guys did because to me this was just a master class in tag team wrestling uh, with heels and baby faces and just the selling. That's what I just love so much though is just the selling. You know, yeah. and it's funny because you say when you're, you're when your son was watching it and it wasn't all these crazy moves that you see today but they were they were it was legitimate moves it was stuff that you could see done in a bar fight that makes sense yep it's done as legit as possible and it's believable it's believable it's absolutely believable and again that's one of the things i loved about the heels they weren't trying to be cool by doing you know this and that and innovation and all this kind of nonsense they were just mean. They just wanted to beat you down and beat you at any, you know, opportunists. That's what the original, you would call a heel an opportunist because it's like, there's a way to take advantage. They'll do it, you know, by hook or by crook. So just a beautiful match. I absolutely love it. And uh, who knows, we might cover a couple more of the matches in this feud.
1: I hope so. I hope so, because I really dig seeing, especially Buddy Landell, I only remember him kind of as a jobber in the later days of NWA, early days of WCW, seeing him yeah. pop up and, and not knowing who he was. And then I think on that documentary, the WWE, uh, maybe F documentary back at the time, it, like they put out some, they paid a nice tribute to those guys. And you know, Sean even, you know, put him over. He was like, no, they they really helped us kind of get our start and oh, the, it's beautiful it's beautiful
2: really beautiful yeah. Oh, yeah i love it great match
1: and i'm and i'm glad by the way i'm glad you're still alive after 22 staples in the back of your head and... <laughs> that was nothing that was
2: nothing yeah I, I can imagine you know they're like do you want to cut a promo let's clean you up for Like, some... no you're not cleaning me up we're doing the promo like this Blah. hell yeah <laughs> yeah so hard way baby come on that's right man <laughs> as real as it gets that's right <laughs> I still feel it. it feels oh, like a like set it, of loops on my whoa. head. Wow, jeez. <laughs>
1: so, are there some fun nostalgic facts that you pulled from nineteen eighty six, September of nineteen eighty
2: six? I mean, I was uh, I was six years old at this time, and so I was trying to think back. I and mean, there were so many great films that came out. Obviously, we were in kind of like the Reagan era. Yes, at this point, but um, The Fly was leading the box office that had topped the box office, um, which is still to this day, a very tough film to watch. I mean, it's body horror uh, personified. I mean, yeah. it's really fantastic film. And still to this day, one of Jeff Goldblum's standout performances as well as Gina Davis. Uh, but I would think that this is um, one of Cronenberg's, you know, babies and it's it's absolutely fantastic so great film wasn't oh, surprised yeah. to see that at the box office um although you know people love horror
1: i saw that opening i saw that opening weekend with my mom with a double feature of that and aliens wow. so
2: oh wow and i mean absolutely another another classic one of my absolute favorites absolutely yep. love it which is just oh man did you know that uh james remar was hicks originally yeah yep. you, you, you saw that right it's I crazy. saw the
1: photos. It's wild. Yeah, James Remar Ajax from The Warriors. You guys know how much we love him.
2: Yeah. Could have been Hicks. Just the different stories about what went on behind the scenes there. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, apparently there was an accident with one of the guns and he blew a hole through one of the uh the set next door at yeah. uh Pinewood. I think it was like blew a hole in the little shop of horrors set or something. And they're like, Oh, you're out of here. So in came Michael Bean. Um, but I yeah, I love aliens, but I I you know. I'm not surprised what a double bill aliens yeah. in the fly I remember oh my.
1: my my mom took on on my other podcast, podcasting after dark, we talk about the uh the, my mom taking me to a lot of horror films, probably showing me things I maybe should have waited a few years to see, but whatever turned me into the guy I am today, so
2: no uh, and you know, I can't say that I was i had all my whereabouts at at six years old, you know what I mean Cause I'm just. <laughs> Uh, playing outside and looking for lizards and pretending I'm a ninja and um, but uh, amazing, I love it. Yeah, Bananarama's Venus was the top song at this time. Oh, nice! That, <laughs> that was what was leading the uh, the charts was uh, Venus. So wasn't one of my go to songs, but I do kind of remember being in the minivan with my mom and, and listening to you know top forty or whatever. And yeah. It, right. I mean, absolutely. Did they so. do cruel summer also? They did. Yeah. Okay. Which wasn't funny enough. It's the only song not on the karate kids soundtrack. Yeah. Even though in the film. So wrong. But it's not on the soundtrack. And I'm like, this is the song I want to hear the most. Uh,
1: that That's a running theme on our show. You know, we always talk about the songs that didn't wind up on the soundtrack or the soundtrack that never got released. And, uh... It's very frustrating.
2: Yeah. No, it's a bummer. Um, but it really brought me back because I started thinking about all the cartoons that I would watch at this time. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was a huge G.I. Joe guy. And so, you know, you know. G.I. Joe, uh, He Man and the Master of the Universe, um, even Gem and the Holograms was a show that I would watch. From Hell from yeah. To
1: time. You know what I mean? I mean, dare I say, I like it more now than I did way back then.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure. And, you know, I didn't see the film that was like, no, you from, don't need to
1: just okay. watch the reruns with, uh, watch the cartoon with Rio and, uh,
2: yeah. Anyways, no, it was, it was pretty neat. Um, funny enough though, another one of my favorite movies before I think, before I forget about it was uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre two came out like a week before this match took place. Wow. Well, yeah. Uh, that's one that gets kind of dumped on quite a bit, but
1: I love it. I love it. And in, in fact, um, Bill Mosley, uh, I have an autographed metal plate from Mil- Bill Moseley. It says, lick my plate, you dog dick. And, and I and I spent $15 on a hanger that he bent into the shape of the hanger from the movie. So I have that somewhere, too. <laughs> my oh, son's like, what's this for? I'm like, not anything bad.
2: He's <laughs> like, that's for the areas you can't reach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a back scratcher, son. It's a back scratcher. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the NES was out. Oh, um- yeah, yeah. Teddy Ruxpin was out. I didn't have the Teddy Ruxpin. I certainly didn't have uh, My Buddy, um, which I don't think came. I think that came along just a little bit after this. Yeah, it did. Uh, yeah, until Child's Play came out. And then it was like, uh, we got to take this off the shelves. <laughs> um, but I did have Garbage Pail Kids. Um, not a good movie either. Nope. 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 <laughs> kind of scary you know, disturbing, yeah, very disturbing. Um, but the, but one thing I, it was taking me back and I was like, I remember I had that was, um, water ring toss. Do you remember that toy? It was with the buttons. Yeah. And it had little, it looked like little skinny fruit loops in it and yes. you would get them hooked on and stuff. Yes. I, I used to entertain myself so much with that thing. Um, <laughs> It I had sounds, the basketball
1: one. I had the basketball
2: one with the little basketballs. Basketball one worked too. I mean, they're, they're just, yeah. you know, and you don't need technology for these games. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Tetris was out. Mario Brothers was out. Donkey Kong, Legend of Zelda. Uh, but also a toy that I'd forgotten about was the Pogo ball. Oh, Do you yeah. remember the Pogo ball? It looked, yeah. like a, it looked like Saturn. Yeah. You know, with the ball, and you'd kind of just try to, Pinch the ball with your feet and jump up and down on that thing till you it. I was terrible at it.
1: I had zero coordination.
2: Oh, I think most people because it wasn't like a big platform that you're sitting on, so oh. or standing on, I'm saying. But uh yeah, I was I miss a lot of these toys. I feel for the kids today that you know, you walk down the aisle at Target or Walmart or whatever, and you see the toys, it's kinda like, no, that's just they just don't have the soul of the toys that we had back then, you know. Like, no,
1: I mean, I will say the action figures look phenomenal from where they were. Like talk about wrestling figures, the wrestling figures now have every articulation you can think of, and they make the legends that look just like the guys in the ring. But but yeah. uh, but the practical toys, the toys you could use as a kid that could fit, get you physically fit or, or a game you could play for a long period of time, they don't make them like that. They
2: don't make them like yeah. that anymore. <laughs> yeah not back in our day <laughs> you, kids, you young whippersnappers if only you knew what you're missing out on uh but you know uh miami vice that was one of the top shows it's still a show that i watch religiously today uh with box sets of course same but, um, yeah. yeah that was a show that i remember watching with my dad um because that was a show that he was pretty into he wasn't one of those dads that tried to dress like Crockett or anything and want to be one of those cool dads, but he just enjoyed it. And I didn't quite appreciate it at six years old, you know, and yeah. like cocaine and hookers and all I didn't understand, you know, and uh, you know, <laughs> drug runners and all this kind of stuff. I didn't get it either, but I love it. I loved it. I love it. I love it. And the I music so iconic, you know, yeah. um, I mean, they used to spend, I think up to 10 grand per episode just on music. And it was, really- it's wonderful that it's out. Uh,
1: the, the box sets that are on DVD or Blu ray or whatever have all those songs, so you don't feel like you're, you know, getting right. a tainted version of this,
2: right? Right? Like the WWE owned stuff where they've put their generic music back over, you know, the old ECW shows or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's uh, keep it intact. Um, but another show that I was a big fan of was MacGyver, that was mm-hmm. a big show. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and I I can still hear that theme song in my head because it's pretty iconic in its own right. Um, But There was just, you know, what a great time for television, 80s television and cinema. How can you go wrong?
1: 1986 was a very good year for pop culture in general.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm barely scratching the surface. Oh, I know. We could do a whole hour just on the pop culture (laughs) stuff. What came out in 86. I know I, I
1: held back I held back on my selections because I was like I want to make sure there, there's a lot of matches from this particular year that I probably want to talk about so uh
2: cool. <laughs> well yeah no I mean please if you want to uh if you want to take the stage I, you I ready I'm for this talk about about this this uh, classic match
1: my match is sting versus the great muda from nwa power hour september of 89
0: we've been waiting for it the entire power hour and now it's time the wrestlers are ready the announcers are ready the fans are ready and we are ready it's time for this week's power hour main event let's go to the arena The future of the NWA right on your television screen. I think so. It's gonna be safe. The introduction made it very clear that this is for the disputed television championship, the cause of the decision and the controversy
1: I believe it aired September 1st. So a quick backstory. And and if we don't hit the description of every territory, every episode, we will th- these territories will come up on a regular basis. So we will be talking more in depth on certain aspects of these territories, but and the wrestlers behind these matches. Um, in July of '89, Sting, who was probably the top babyface of the NWA, soon to become the the, the main babyface for many many years, um, wrestled the Great Muda at the great American bash and they wrestled to a double pin. So for those that don't know, uh, basically their shoulders were both down on the ring at the same time. And they, it was like a a double loss, right? (laughs) (laughs) For, for the TV title, um, great Muda was the champion at the time. Sting was the challenger. So this was Sting's rematch. The title was kind of up, um, was being held up and, to, and this was the match to decide who was going to get the belt up until this point sting started connecting with rick flair rick flair was a babyface, and he was feuding with terry funk this all will tie in together uh rick flair was i think a heel for for up until the point that he wrestled uh ricky steamboat earlier that year beat ricky steamboat for the world title terry funk pile drove rick flair through a table in one of the most vicious uh, pile drivers ever, I think I've seen during that up until that point. And Flair was out of commission for a bit with an injured neck. Comes back, battles Funk at the bash in a wild match. And Funk uh, had aligned himself with the great Muda uh, and, and Gary Hart, who if you don't know who Gary Hart is, Boy oh boy, he's gonna come up a lot on this show as well because he's the yeah. master. The guy's a master. Um yeah. and so Sting came to the rescue because Sting was feuding with Muda. Kind of makes sense that the two of those guys would link up. So, Great Muda, really quick, is Japanese wrestler. He's in being he's being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame uh, the weekend that this episode drops. Congratulations to him, because he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um he came to the states in the eighties, wrestling under the name uh, I think like the White Ninja or the White. Uh, you got me. I'm yeah, the, the White. Yeah, White Ninja.
2: Work. Yeah, he awesome. was the
1: White Ninja. He Came to the, the states in the White as the White Ninja wrestled in uh, World Class for a cup of coffee, yeah. <laughs> and then wound up in um, NWA in eighty nine and was a, a, introduced as the Great Mota M O T A. Mota. And he was the son of the great Kabuki, which is another famed wrestler. But Gary yeah. Hart was his manager, uh, and he was something to be reckoned with. You know Sting, who uh, had been in the NWA at this point for for many for a couple years. Uh, prior to that, he was in the CWA and the UWF with Jim Hellwig when they were the Blade Runners, I believe. Runners. And, and and side note. There will be times when I'm pulling up facts and there will be times when I'm just pulling from my mem- memory bank, like pretty much Paul did the entire time. So. <laughs> um, so so Sting, you know, obviously had face paint on and then the great Muda shows up, scares the hell out of people with his face paint. Uh, he had a move set that I don't think many people had seen up until that point. Sting was a, considered a high flyer. He would do a big splash, uh, drop kicks, stuff like that. But Muta had the moonsault, which I had never seen until he brought it into the ring. Handspring backflip that he would do. Um, Just crazy moves for a time when we were not accustomed to that here in the United States. At least I wasn't. He wrestled Sting, like I said, to the, the, the draw or the double pin. And then they had this match on the NWA Power Hour and it was a 15 minute match um you had everything in this match you had interference from outside terry funk shows up out of nowhere <laughs> starts getting involved in the match gary hart is being the you know uh, the the scumbag manager inter- interjecting and upsetting the match you had uh the ref getting knocked out just like you did in actually this match and paul's yeah. match are, are very similar because <laughs> You had a man, heel manager, you had uh, referees getting knocked out, and you eventually uh, this match ends in a disqualification with Sting getting the win, but he doesn't get the title. Muta wrestles two nights later and then wins, claims the, uh, the world television title, which I believe he holds for, my gosh, uh, over a year until Arn Anderson defeated him for it.
2: Who did he beat two days after this? Did it? Do you remember? Like, I I what? didn't pull that up to be honest with you. My yeah. bad. Um, no, no, no. I'm curious if it was. I wouldn't have been like. I wouldn't have been. Uh, that's that one stumps me as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. That may be something that we will have to put in our. Um, well, we'll have to come back for that. Maybe that'll be a match worth revisiting. And what I love about this is this match was the middle of so many great storylines you have the eventual formation of the four horsemen with sting which four horsemen was a heel stable and suddenly they bring this u- ultra baby face uh it gets really complicated in the most dramatic way is maybe <laughs> one of my favorite dramatic moments of nwa um this match itself was back and forth non-stop the entrance music is great uh the the by the way we'll put links to these matches in our show notes so you guys can watch these but sting comes out to his theme music which was like a variation on i think like a a metallica song um it's just that barrel 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 i might play a little clip of that And then Muda comes out with his mystical music, which was so creepy at the time. So good. I might play a little bit of that too. And these guys tore it up for 15 minutes and they could have kept going. I mean, Muta like never looked tired and Muta would spray green spray uh, face paint. And, and, and I don't think he was the first to ever do that, but he definitely was the first to really bring it to the United States. Uh, and the then mess. obviously Tajiri was somebody who you would do it yeah. later on and blah, blah, blah. But did that at, as well,
2: Kabuki, I think. Yeah. Did that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kabuki did do that as well. You're right. And so, um, and then the last thing I'll say about this, um, not only was the crowd hot, but you, in my opinion, have one of the best commentating teams, Jim Ross and Jim Cornette doing the commentating. And it is Jim Cornette who will come up as a heel manager on the show. Uh, Jim Ross, to me, like his, his voice, he and Bob Cottle and Gordon Soley are like, to me, like the voices of wrestling uh, for this era and I couldn't, I could. I watched this match three times, uh, over the course of about a month because, and, uh, I absolutely love it. And in fact, I have the, uh, the Sting Galoob figures, um, uh, awesome. oh, wow. back in the day, I have the, I have three different <laughs> ones cause they released a bunch of different ones. I have Sting with the blue tights. I've Sting <laughs> with the black tights and Sting with the orange tights.
2: Wow. I had the one in the middle.
1: Yeah. With the title. And does he have the rat tail? <laughs> it's the rat tail. which is so great. So sting sting. For those of you that don't know, go to our Instagram. We've got pictures of all of the participants to all these matches, but um, sting had a wicked rat tail back in the day. I loved it. So I'm going to turn it over to you. I want to get your thoughts on sting versus Muda NWA power hour, September of 89.
2: You know, I love this match. I hadn't seen it in. I can't tell you the last time I hadn't seen it. So when you presented it, it was. Just you know, and I getting into wrestling, I was more a WWF guy than the WCW guy. Like um, it just was more accessible, and um, you know, but I loved WCW at the same time. I had a WCW US title of uh, the foam belt with the Velcro. I had a lot of these things. I had nice. that Sting figure. Um, I wanted a Mr. Perfect figure so bad that I bought the Sid Vicious figure of that line because it was blonde. He had a singlet, even though it was black and either way. It looked um, like he was
1: taking a dump, by the way. He kind of had this like
2: horse stance. But one of the things that really um, initially kind of stands out when I'm seeing this match is, you know, Sting was just so mega over, and he hadn't even reached, um, you know, he wasn't near reaching the peak of his success or his being over. But early on in the match, even right as he gives out one of his like, whatever he does, like that how whatever, whatever, like the place just goes crazy, nuts, it goes crazy, yeah, and you know, I Muda, say what you will. I mean, he was just we had seen martial arts done from wrestlers previously, you know, from the Orient. Yes.
0: Um,
2: but his looked, I feel the most legit, um, you know, because he had real size on, him. you know, I mean, he's a yeah. big guy. I've never personally met him. Um, but, you know, you never saw him as kind of a, a, a weak looking guy. He was always pretty, pretty built. And I feel that the, the the face paint that he had. It was kind of it was pretty creepy, like you it said, was creepy. You know, it was color coordinated to his gear, but it covered his whole face. Um, you know, it it was uh, the closest thing to a ninja without the mask on. Totally. You know? um, and so I was really excited, though, early on when you see uh Terry Funk come out because I was sitting there thinking, Oh, that it's this right and he's coming out and he's tearing off the uh the poncho and he's getting all this other stuff and he's getting it all you know he's ready to find he's just a wily Texan ready to to rumble. Um I think he came out with his branding iron too. iron which I think that those old LJN toys, I think his had the branding iron. It did. Uh, right? And the yep. poncho and the cowboy hat and the chaps. Yep. Um, but it makes me wonder, like Muda must have met Gary Hart at World Class, even though he was there for a short time. Because yeah. I feel like World Class is where Gary Hart really cut his teeth in terms of being just this, this dastardly heel manager, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was neat to see that they were right there. Um, I th- were they the Black Hearts? Was that the name of this little faction? Because I knew it was like the Black Heart Gary Hart. But. I think
1: so. I think that I think so. Um, they, they brought in they brought in uh, Buzz Sawyer later on uh, when the when the Horsemen needed when they needed to kind of go at the horseman. Um, but but I think in in like the week prior, they broke um, Dirty Dick Slater's arm in the match <laughs> right, with the branding iron, I believe. And Dirty Dick Slater, who was a heel, I think at this point, they were trying to maybe. Make him into into a face, Um, yeah. you know, and, and and Gary Hart. Gary Hart is such a great talker, right? He's a great right. mouthpiece,
2: and, absolutely.
1: And and he there's a moment where the ref is down. He's quote unquote checking on the ref, and he kind of kicks the ref. It's classic yeah. heel stuff
2: yeah. on the outside, or no? In the was it on the outside? He just yeah, gives it was him the like, outside of the ring, or something. Yeah, and it's funny because Cornette even mentions at some point. You know, Gary Hart had like the towel and he's you know choking he's giving little shots he's doing everything he can and to the point where Cornets even like he's doing a little much now a little too much here like you know (laughs) let his presence be felt that should be good but he's he's really overdoing it here he's risking it you know he's risking getting caught and i mean that's kind of eventually what leads to the dq isn't it i mean yeah he's just like screw it i'm coming in and uh interfering um so I thought that was, I was amused by that as well, that we had both picked matches that ended in disqualification. Um, yeah. That was we, totally
1: by happenstance. It wasn't planned.
2: Oh, yeah, It really was. <laughs> so let see the baby face win the title. Oh no. Um,
1: yeah. Cause I don't want to, I won't get to uh, what happens to sting down the road because to me it, it was, it was amazing and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, what happens in about a month or so following this match. I think at the Texas shootout uh, clash of champions, but uh, sting, you know, I think he had a match in, in at Starcade of 88 with Muta perhaps, or it was either, it might've been later this year. I'm trying my memory banks, foggy. We will cover that match for sure because it's a great match. And um, you know, this was the time when the baby face didn't always get that win. Didn't no. get that win, and you and and that was what made it even more exciting because you were you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew what kind of run in was going to. I didn't expect Funk to come in. I mean, it did well, on one hand, but he comes in
2: early though. He comes yeah. in like with first like five minutes or so, hops up on that apron, just wily, you know. And so, yeah, I didn't expect that either. And it's one of the better versions of Terry. You know, he's just, just my favorite Texan. Yeah. The branding iron. How can you go wrong with that?
1: The hardcore he, he was, you know, he was hardcore before ECW, uh, like he was, he was bringing that edge and his rivalry with flair up until that point when flair was a babyface for a cup of coffee or whatever, uh, was, was fantastic too. You're, like, you're kind of rooted for flair. You're like, I want to see this kind of, I want to see the side of flair. And then you yeah. get the side that we're, we're all accustomed to, <laughs>
2: We got to see the Flair as Babyface thing too, though, because that's those are such short segments in his career, you know, when he would be Babyface. So you just mentioning how Sting was uh, part of that Four Horsemen, I was just kind of like, oh my god, like this is mind blowing. Completely, I'd forgotten yeah. all about that stuff, you know. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think Sting ends up doing two of the Stinger splashes in this match, right? But I don't think we even get the mist in this match, do we? No. So, like, you know, what's so great about so many of these matches is that they're not throwing everything in there. Because then, like, what do you come back with? You know, the fact that they could keep the fans so engaged and, and just the intensity with the audience based on what they were doing. And again, it's because the technique was delivered so uh just the realism behind it. You know, there was nothing that looked like it was whiffed. There was yeah. nothing that looked like it was predetermined or that they had rehearsed it. There was none of that stuff. And it's because a lot of that was uh, oftentimes when I gather called out there on the fly, I mean, you would kind of have a rough blueprint. Yeah. But A lot of, a lot of it was kind of winging it and going on what you hear from the audience and kind of adjusting that way. Um So it, it just makes it so much more impressive to me. And that's why I think a lot of it does come off. So real is because in many ways, as real as it gets, that's as real as it gets, you know, whereas if you to flip on TV wrestling today, even from the lockup, every single thing, you know, is generally planned out, which is part of why it's so stale now.
1: Yeah. And if you didn't, if you didn't hit a certain move and the crowd would be, you know, upset by that. This was the time yeah. when you didn't know what was coming.
2: Right. 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 And it just made it, it again. It just makes it real. You yeah. know, actions are real. The the selling uh, is is accurate. It's not just kind of generic. Hold my back selling, um, you know, and so it, it really made me want to chomp in and start getting a lot of this early WCW uh, kind of crossing over from NWA. Now I'm trying to think of when NWA kind of, when when that part was dropped and it was just WCW.
1: It was 91.
2: It was 91. Yeah. I, I
1: think, um, you know, when flair came over from WCW to WWF, uh, they had the war games match earlier that year. He was supposed to drop the title to, he, he left with the title. Well, he took the title with him. Right. And then yeah. they had Wyndham and Luger at Great American Bash. And at this point, Wyndham chopped his hair off. Flair had chopped his hair off. The era had chopped its hair off. Um, it just had a different vibe, you know? And, and I think that's why in this show, we will really focus on this specific decade and then toe dip into the 90s a bit um, because there are still some highlights early on. You know, this was also a time when the storyline would continue for a really long time, and 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 the payoff might not come for six months. You know, it just continued and continued, and they, and and NWA specifically on T, on TBS had the Clash of Champions, like pay per view with the, the right. free pay per view. That's and right. Some major moments in these, and and we will cover some of those too. But uh, this match in particular was like kind of in between. You know, this, it was, a, it's like a chapter in between a really juicy pulp novel and, um, it sets up what's to become uh, another major feud. And I, for me, it was also unique to see Muda, this guy Muda that I've never seen somebody like this before. You know, I'd seen the, obviously the Road warriors and it'd seen, I think demolition was obviously around at this point, um, and, and Sting and I think Ultimate Warrior was about to come into the WWF or maybe he was already there at this point because this was 89. Yeah, he was there. Yeah,
2: I think it's like very early on, but but you're getting at the face paint, are you? It's yeah, just different face paint.
1: Different face paint and intimidating without doing a whole lot. He didn't say anything, guys. Like he just, he just looked at you. And then Gary Hart was the one that did the talking. And Gary Hart was not a weasel. He didn't look like a weasel to me. He kind of looked like... He, well, we, uh, offline, we were talking about Bill Lustig. He looked like, um, from maniac, <laughs> our, our, boy, uh, Joe Spinell. Oh yeah. <laughs> Looks a little like Joe Spinell to me, which creeped me out because when I saw maniac, I was like, this guy's freaky as hell. Um, but I want to, I want to jump into a few uh, moments from September of 1980, 1989. I'm going to focus mostly on television because I, there were some really fun moments that popped out to me. So in September of '89, the Legend of Zelda animated series premiered on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Awesome. And I think by most people will know the Legend of Zelda cartoon by the uh, the, the terrible Lynx Excuse me, Princess) <laughs> This is the Triforce of Wisdom, Link. The evil
0: wizard Ganon has the Triforce of Power. Whoever gets both Triforces will rule this land forever! You must help me, Link! Hey, for you, Zelda, anything! (laughs) Nice job, hero! Hey! Excuse me, princess!
1: It was just like the video game, and he uh Link would hit people with his sword and you hear the coin effect go off, or that he you know, when he would shoot the uh the power sword at people. It was a terrible cartoon, but I still loved it. It was so bad, but it was fun <laughs> in September of that mu- same year. TGIF premiered on ABC. Oh, wow, 89. So the, the original lineup was Full House, Family Matters. Perfect Strangers, and Just the Ten of Us.
2: Wow. Did you watch all of those? Because I'm think, trying to remember Just the Ten of Us. I was definitely a fan of Full House and Family Matters. I can't remember ten, Just the Ten of Us. It was. I watched all of them. I
1: remember uh, Jamie Lunar and uh, Heather Langenkamp were some of the daughters in this. Okay, okay he was a coach but they were like a catholic family oh
2: my god it was the re-
1: the religious stuff back in the day the
2: older Killed. woman um who would was she was kind of like the house mother
1: yeah i, I believe uh, i forget the name of the the mom uh right
2: or, or like the house mom you're right oh, when you said heather laying kind of rang a bell because i was like oh yeah okay now it's starting to remember but I was a boy, you know, it was like all these girls and this show.
1: And the music was so cheesy. Bill Medley was doing it the best I can. It was just so cheesy. (laughs) Err, yeah. What can? But I kind of like that stuff now. Back back, back then, I was 13 or 12. I'm like, I don't... 13, yeah. I could care less about this stuff. I think I watched... um, I think I I watched Full House and Family Matters and kind of tapped out at Perfect Strength because it was so wacky, you know? Like, it was so cheesy, but... I kind of, I like that stuff now, but back in then, back, the, back in the day, I was like, no, come on, give me the fly of um, 86. Yeah. Speaking of uh, movies, movies that came on 89, I'll wrap it up with this. One of my favorite movies of all time, Black Rain came out in 1989, September of 89.
2: Michael,
1: Michael Douglas, Ridley Scott, Andy Garcia. If you've never seen it, go watch it. Hans Zimmer does a soundtrack. Greg Allman sings the song with Hans Zimmer doing the sound the soundtrack for it. It's
2: amazing. poster too like that poster i remember uh, yes uh, they used to advertise black rain in black belt magazine in the martial arts magazine oh, yeah you're right and so right. i remember that picture of michael douglas with the glasses on the motorcycle with the leather jacket, and it kind of had like a black and bluish kind of hue to the whole thing and it was just like yep this guy looks badass badass like,
1: yeah, uh, Ken Takakura, uh, I think, is the is like the detective in that, the Japanese detective. Um, Kate Capshaw's in it.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Great movie. Great movie. We may need to cover that movie down the road.
2: I was about to say, Black Rain, it's a sleeper hit.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh, two matches. That is Territory Marks
2: in a nutshell. Yeah. Wow. I, I wanna go back to the eighties. I really do. You know I mean? <laughs> Watch me bust out an early nineties one next time. <laughs> well, I gotta
1: be honest, you you brought up Scott Hall and before he was uh, before he was Razor and then when he joined the NWO, Scott Hall in the eighties and early nineties, he may come
0: up. Cowboy
2: Scott Hall. Yes. Cowboy oh, yeah. Scott Hall with the big handlebar mustache. Yeah, I loved it, dude. Yeah, this whole era was just littered with guys who, you know, like we had mentioned earlier, looked they, they were men, like they were real men. They weren't all bodybuilders. They had the hairy chest, you know, a lot of them. Uh, in the case of like the Buddy Rose, like some were pretty portly. Yeah, you could talk all the shit you want from the audience. You see these guys outside the building like you're not saying a word nope you're not saying a word because these guys are legit and a lot of them came from shooter backgrounds where they could mess you up not totally blanchard but they could mess <laughs> you up you know So, um, or
1: they could be your pe coach like uh, uh georgie animal steel.
2: steel just baffles me wow
1: yeah, I have to talk to my mom about that. He was my my mom and my dad's PE coach. But oh, well, a quick thing! Did you notice the commentator in the uh, in the in the Midnight Rockers Landell Summers match call uh, called Summers uh, George Summers? I think. He oh, he getting, might have. He's getting flustered. He was just like, "There's so much going on in the ring right now." And
2: oh yeah, and you can imagine how hot that arena was, like just temperature wise. You know, with like the sweat of these four for, uh, athletes really, I mean, the way they looked notwithstanding, like they were still athletes. They still went, like you said, 18 minutes. Yep. And, so, um, yeah.
1: And, and you didn't have, you didn't have someone piping in commentary into the commentaries on the commentators ears, you know, what right. to say. So th- these right. guys are calling it like they see it and
2: it. Oh man, it is just pure magic, pure magic. So yeah. uh, it was great to hear Cornette as well, though, too. I mean, say what you will about him. Yeah. Uh, I'm always a fan of, of his mind. I'm always a fan of his opinions. And, you know, people may not be a big fan of his current uh, viewpoints, but but I I get, I learn something every time I listen to him because he's just a real encyclopedia. I mean, the guy's been there, done that. And so what better person have on commentary, you know what I mean? Like, he just right. has that voice too. Um, so, you know, and Uh, obviously you know jim ross before he got uh before he became a caricature right uh you know so um yeah no this is uh this has been a lot of fun like just getting to see i want to i'm i'm probably gonna just keep looking up more stuff tonight and continue on and continue on because you know as i'm still doing shows not as many as i used to but as i'm still doing shows um part of what i feel is a responsibility is to try and impart similar knowledge to the current generation moving into the future generation yeah where you know you didn't see like in these matches you might see the the big punch selling and then they give you the big punch you wouldn't see like the Back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. It just looks so slapstick like the stuff you see today. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm trying to share some knowledge with some of the younger guys, you know, you see a lot of these matches today and a guy gets punched five times just to back him up to the ropes. They shoot him off. The guy reverses. It's like, what were those five punches? They didn't do anything. All I need is one. Yeah. And in both of these matches, nothing is thrown away. No. Nothing's blown away. They get maximum mileage out of everything they do. It's um, you know, there's an economy to motion and an economy in the movement. Like they really make the, the most of everything that they do. And that's part of what draws in that atmosphere of believability and legitimacy. Yeah. You know, because if you're seeing someone get beat on their leg, beat on the leg, but now they're doing leap frogs and moon like, well, I guess his leg doesn't hurt that bad, you know. But <laughs> right, uh, and that's why I'm such a fan of selling. Yeah, because you're sitting here thinking, man, I know this is supposed to be predetermined, or whatever, but I think he's hurt. I think he's hurt. You know I and mean? that's when the mark really
1: comes out. I'm sure we'll have a steamboat match come up because for me, he sold oh, it like nobody else could.
2: Oh yeah. There's some great steamboat and Terry Funk. It's funny. Cause we were talking about Terry just earlier in that you match. Hit that. Yep. Yeah. One of his big insults was you, you egg <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, sucking dog. Oh man. Dog. I mean, got <laughs>
1: Well, you, you, I mean, not okay. I'll give you a little teaser for the next episode. Uh, Funk Steamboat could come up. It's a tremendous match.
2: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Just yeah,
1: Paul, this has been amazing uh, doing this show with you, and and I hope this is the first of many to come because uh, it's just been a, a blast. Absolutely. Where Where do you want people to find you <laughs> on social media? Find <laughs> me in the territories.
2: So oh, be there in you the go. Catalog i'll be in my cadillac out in the parking lot find me in the yellow pages under badass yeah 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 <laughs> hanging out with the rats at the bar the hotel <laughs> there you go uh, i'm just on social media instagram and twitter only uh, at london fu l-o-n-d-o-n-f-u it's for kung fu not an f-u <laughs> uh so london fu of course um and that's usually where I post my happenings in terms of travel, wrestling events, uh, anything that I might be doing. Um, it's certainly not where I sit there and compliment someone I just had a blood feud with and say, <laughs> hey, where are we going to eat afterwards? Thank you for taking care of me. I love you. Hugs. Yeah, let's go shopping. No. <laughs> no. Because, yes, yeah, social media, I blame you. Right. For just a lot of cafe.
1: A lot uh, of
2: guys are more concerned with getting likes and being popular from strangers than maintaining the secrecy of the business. So shame on all of you who do that.
1: Yeah, and mad props to the ones that keep it alive, like yourself. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah. you you can obviously find $2 Late Fee on all the social medias, uh, Twitter, Instagram. The fun stuff is on Instagram, you guys. Yeah. It's a, That's where it's at. Territory Marks is... Is under the two dollar late fee banner now, so look for that stuff to pop up on our page, on our YouTube page. Um, we'll, uh, the links to the matches are in the show notes, so go check out those matches. Tell us what you think. Give us your give us a give us feedback on it, and tell us what some of the stuff you guys like. Reach out to us on social media. Reach out. Reach out to us on Patreon. Um, that th- you know, this that's the bread and butter of two dollar late fee, obviously, but hit us up. Let us know. We want to know this is a show for wrestling fans, but it's also a show for nostalgia fans, people who love nostalgia, the eighties, all that good stuff, because let's be honest, wrestling is one of the few professional sports that's been around from the beginning. And it's going to continue to go on and hopefully we'll see a nice evolution of more kayfabe and more legit heels and faces and all that good stuff. So. So
2: if you have a special memory of where you were, in 86 or in 89 around this time feel free to share it yeah. because again part of what this is about is sitting there and just you know trying to block out the cte that we were developing <laughs> and uh the think CD. back think back to happier simpler times um right. you know definitely a magical time for not just wrestling but pop culture in general so hell yeah this has been a lot of so much fun, Zach! I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm already going to start compiling a list starting tonight.
1: Me too. I might be busting out my Von Erichs family album. I'm just going oh. to
2: also say that too. So good, so um, good.
1: And 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 oh, by the way, if you're listening to the show and you were at one of those matches, let us know if if, if this like if that comes up. We want to know about that experience because that's a whole other animal.
2: Please, please, oh. All right, everybody.
1: So uh, the good guys always win, even in the '80s. That's our tagline. And you know what? I think, I think good old Ace Hunter needs to play us out. Paul, this has been great. Until the next time.
2: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Oh, listen! I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the '80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it.
1: Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it a five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the Internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 2 dollars Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it.
2: You're listening to the Geekscape Network.